Amen. I want to thank God for the choir. Let's give them a hand, ushering us into the presence of the Lord. Amen. Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, we haven't done anything uh, that we deserve the right to be here this morning. It's only by God's grace and mercy that we stand and we sit where we're sitting today, amen? Amen, amen. amen. Well, you know, my, my pastor back home used to always say, if there is praying in the pews, there'll be preaching in the pulpit. <laughs> amen, somebody. So I need your prayers this morning, uh, and uh, there will be preaching because Jesus is, is the preacher of preachers, and he's the one who is in me and in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Prentice was going to preach a sermon called Seek Ye First the Kingdom, uh, but Seek First, Seek First. I'm going to try to stay with that, uh, that title because it captures the, the essence of this passage in Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34. Uh, but to a greater extent, as we look at this passage, uh, it really starts in verse 19, uh, verses 19 to 24, and then you see the word therefore in verse 25. And so with that being said, I want to ask you to stand and we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34 together. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows what you need, all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord lasts 
forever. Now, as a subtitle uh, for this passage, I would like for us to think uh, from the topic, moving from worry to worship. Moving from worry to worship. But the main thrust of this passage is indeed to seek first. But we've got to get down to verse 33 to talk about that. You know, the Westminster Catechism of Faith says that the chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. Uh, to enjoy him forever. That's, that's the chief end of man. And Henry Blackaby said that the test of a good leader or a good Christian is to help people to get on God's agenda. Because we have our own agendas and God has his agenda. And there are times in our lives where we are more concerned about our agenda than we are about God's agenda. But I would like to think that the older we get, amen somebody, <laughs> the more we yield to God's right of way to get on his agenda. I know in our 20s, 30s, as Christians, we're still pursuing our own agenda sometimes, and we, we, we fluctuate back and forth. But I would like to think the older we get, the more clarity God gives us, and we, uh, we give God the right of way in our lives, and we get on his agenda. I think that's what Jesus is doing right here. He's talking to his disciples. Now, if he's talking to the 12, all of them are in their 20s and, uh, 20s and 30s. If he's talking to them, he's trying to help these disciples, Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples, to get on God's agenda. Jesus is already on the Father's agenda. He and the Father are one, the Holy Spirit are one. And so their agenda is seamless. They, they are about the Father's business. And this is what Jesus is often saying. But then here we see Jesus beginning to do uh, some interior decorating in the disciples' lives. He's rearranging their thought process. He's rearranging uh, where their heart is. He's rearranging what they're focusing on. And he says to them, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, when we think about what Jesus is saying here now in verses 19 to 24, he, he tells them, don't, don't fall into the money trap. That money is a great servant, but it's a terrible master. But then here in verses 25 to 27, he says, don't fall into the worry trap. 
Don't let the enemy catch you and you fall into the worry trap. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than, than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Don't fall into the worry trap. One writer has said that worry slanders every promise of God. That when we worry, and this word worry is the, the Greek word, merimaneo, which means to have a divided mind. It means to one side of your mind is thinking one way and another side of your mind is thinking another way and they're in conflict with one another. And so Jesus says to, to his hearers, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink because your heavenly father knows that you need all of these things. And I love how Jesus goes to nature to explain what he's saying. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Now, every, almost every morning, I look out in my backyard. Now, it was pretty cold this morning, so I didn't see any birds out there this morning. But every now and then I see a Stellar's Jay or a Robin and I've never seen a Stellar's Jay walk around and say, man, I just wonder what I'm going to eat this morning. <laughs> I am really worried. I, I just don't know what I'm going to eat this morning. I've never seen a Robin walking on a branch and just worried to death about what he's going to eat. But what I do see is they, they go straight to the ground and they start looking. And from somebody here at the church told me, because I said something about a robin, and somebody here at the church told me, well, you know, a robin, now they, 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 they know the, the behavior of robins very well. And so he said a robin uh, likes to listen for the movement of a worm. And he, he looks, but he listens. He, 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 his, his feet are planted where he can feel the vibration, but also he listens to the movement of the worm. Now, you have to fact check that now. That's what, <laughs> that's what they told me. But that, that does explain why the robin is turning his head like this now. Here Jesus goes to nature and he says, the birds don't have to worry. They don't sow, they don't reap, nor gather in the barns, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He says to them, aren't you more of more value than, 
than they are? Aren't you, isn't your, your net worth more than the net worth of a robin? Isn't, aren't you more, aren't you the crowning glory of God's creation? Humanity is the crowning glory of, of God's creation? Why are you worried? Sometimes we are spiritually incoherent to the voice of God because we're so worried and all of the voices, our inner voices cannot hear what God is trying to say to us and we're spiritually incoherent and God is trying to get our attention and says, you are of great value to me. You are precious to me. You are the apple of my eye. So don't worry. As the old song said, be happy. Don't worry. Don't allow your mind to be divided by the cares of this world. Because here's the thing, the, the, the appraised value of worry is zero. It has no value in your life or in my life. As a matter of fact, worry generates stress. It creates energy leaks in us. We waste a lot of emotional, psychological energy when we worry but when we look at the bigness of God and begin to think about how great God is and if God can hold the sun and suspend the sun in the air and hold the moon and suspend it in space and never the two shall meet, don't you think that he can take care of our little problems? He can do it. So, question is today, because what I see here, it, you may not see the word worship in this passage, but it's implied because in the kingdom of heaven, from my understanding, when I read Revelations, it says that there will be worship in heaven. And that, as David has mentioned so many times, that this, this is a rehearsal down here. But worship is not just what we do on Sunday, it's what we do Monday through Saturday. But when we come to church on Sunday, we bring into sharp focus what we've done all week long. And so the choir shouldn't have to warm you up. Amen, somebody. You should have already been warmed up by what God has done for you all week long. And what Jesus is really saying is that the Father has a good track record. That he's been to the future and back. He, he keeps waking you up, up every morning. He keeps clothing you in your right mind. He keeps putting food on your table. He keeps making a way for you out of nowhere. He keeps doing those things that a father does. So Jesus says, don't fall for the worry trap. 
Don't allow the enemy to capture your mind and your emotions and you waste energy worrying all day long. There have been times where I've stayed up at night and worried. And I get up in the morning only to find that God has already taken care of the problem. You see, God's timing is not our timing. And so we can't rush God. There's no prayer that you can pray that God will hurry up. <laughs> now, you may be able to get your husband to hurry up, amen, or your wife to hurry up, or your children to hurry up, but God says, it don't work with me like that. So here we find Jesus telling them, don't fall for the worry trap. But not only the worry trap, but don't fall either for the materialism trap. Look at what he says in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. And then he says, yet I tell you, he said in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? You of little Faith. The assumption here that Jesus is making is that worry is an expression of little faith. Materialism is an expression or uh, an expression of little faith. When when we are when we begin to make worry, worry can become a, a sense, a source of idolatry. Materialism can become a source of idolatry. And we live in a world today where everyone is out to say, live with the mantra, I'm going to get mine. Now you get yours. Everyone is out for themselves. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the Gentiles. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to those who would venture to follow him. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you, of little faith. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, what Jesus is getting at here is that, as one writer said, that the, the human heart is an idolatry-making factory. That the heart is always in the process of trying to make idols. Now, we don't necessarily put idols up in our, in our homes like they did in Jesus' day, but anything can become an idol 
if you're more focused on it than you are on God. A phone can become an idol. A cell phone. I watch people cross the street, just headed, headed, headed to church, and they were just walking across the street, just looking at their phone, not even looking at where they're going. And I've been guilty of it myself because I'm an introvert. Sometimes I, when I get on the elevator and there's someone on the elevator, I pull out my phone because I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> just being honest, guys. All of us got to have a come to Jesus moment every now and then. But here, and you know, we even, even our children, if you take the phone away from them, a war has begun. And so we have to be careful and not make idols out of the things that we think that we must live with. And you've heard me say this many times before, sometimes we allow, uh, we, we treat our homes, our cars, our phones, our clothes like it's the source, our job, like it's the source of our strength and our, our vitality, our lives. But there's only one source, and that's God. Everything else we have is a resource. Because your phone can't wake you up in the morning if God doesn't touch you. Your house is a resource. It, can, it can't wake you up in the morning. The clothes that you wear is a resource, and sometimes we, we confuse our source, the source, with the resources. We treat God like he's a resource. Like, I don't need God this morning. God, thank you for everything that you've done, but I don't need you this morning. If God decides to go on strike and withdraw his air from us, wouldn't be able to breathe. We will cease to exist. God is the source of my strength. He's the source of my life. And, it, and we have to treat, and this is what Jesus is getting at, that we, we cannot allow materialism to take the place of God. My Bible tells me that the God we serve is a jealous God and that he does not settle for being second place in our lives. So I just want to encourage you today, don't, don't fall for the materialism trap. The enemy wants you to be focused on getting all that you can get. As one writer said, he who has the most toys wins. And we know brothers and sisters there are a lot of rich people in the world who are plagued with worry, who are plagued with the cares of this world, who have a divided mind, and they have all the toys that they need. They have everything that they need, but yet there's no joy. There's no happiness. But look at what Jesus says here. Therefore, don't worry saying what we will eat what we will drink or what 
we will wear. For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. He knows that we need all of these things. I know some, some of us are thinking, well, if, if, if I seek first the kingdom of God, then who's going to take care of my everyday life? Who's going to take care of my needs? This is not what the passage is saying. God knows that, you, that there, there are things that only you can do for yourself, and there are things that God says, I can do for you. But we should never put ourselves in the place of God. You know, there's only, that, there was only one, there's only one job and one, one job description for God, and, and, and no one else can apply for that job. And so here we find, he says, seek first his kingdom in verse 33. Strive, and I kind of like that, that rendering better, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you, given to you as well. In other words, when we seek God's will, when we seek and strive for the kingdom of God, these things will follow us. We don't have to pursue them. When we seek him first, we don't have to pursue materialism. We don't have to pursue those things. Materialism has its proper place and it's not in the center of our will. Then he uses, he uses this word, this word seek or strive. It's, it's in the imperative. It doesn't mean to look for something not present. Jesus has already announced the arrival of the kingdom. When the, when the king shows up, the kingdom is at hand. Jesus is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And as Jesus is walking the dusty roads of Jerusalem, he's constantly saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. And what he's saying is the king has come. What he's saying is that because the king has come, that the, the, the kingdom of heaven is, is already in the progress of changing things and making things altogether beautiful again. So in this context, it, it means, this word seek or strive means that his disciples are to make the kingdom of heaven the center of their lives. It should be their, their greatest priority to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to tell you a, a secret. You don't have to tell anybody. But it's just between me and you. The United States of America is not the kingdom of God. <laughs> Let me say it over here. <laughs> the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. Amen. So he, and the reason I think we need to say, I need to say that is because sometimes we, we, we treat 
Don't get me wrong, I'm proud to be a citizen of America. But we tend to treat America like it's heaven on earth. We tend to treat America like God, you, this is God's country. No. If I'm reading this passage correctly, that the, the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is. Not necessarily where we are, the kingdom of heaven is where Jesus is. So Jesus is telling his hearers, strive for the kingdom of God because that's where worship happens. Strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This word righteousness can also mean justice. If you look at the earlier verses, the implication here is that God expects us as Christians to do good works. That the church is a little bit of heaven on earth. And so if the world wants to know what heaven looks like, then they ought to be able to come to church and say, oh, that's what heaven looks like. People are loving one another there. They're serving the community. They're anticipating one another's needs. They're living as family. And when the church portrays the beauty of God, then the world can't help, be, help but be attracted to us. The world can't help but be attracted to the church. When we begin to portray the beauty of Jesus Christ, we'll say, I want a part, I want a part of that. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples, that we as Christians, we are citizens of two places. We're citizens of heaven and we're citizens of earth. But our heavenly citizenship takes precedence over our earthly citizenship. My grandmother used to sing a song, and I sing probably more now than I've ever, ever seen it because she, no doubt she had some worries. She's gone home to be with the Lord, but no doubt she had, had some worries. She had some concerns. But what, as I began to watch her, and reflect on her life over the years, she had a tendency to turn worry into worship. She would take the R and Y off of worry and replace it with S-H-I-P, worship. It's a big difference, the change of words. The change of letters, but she, she would turn her worry into worship. And on this Sunday that we call Christ the King Sunday, my grandmother used to sing a song, I'm on a mission for the king. And I think that's a song she made up, but it, it was a beautiful song. He told me to pray. He told me to sing. I'm on a mission. For the king. All of us here today are on a mission for the king. And my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we would make 
that mission the greatest priority in our lives. Amen. 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 Amen.